Welcome to The Dad Presents. Make sure you're following the show wherever you're listening. And wherever you are out in the world, spread that love and liberty. Let's go. How are you fine folks doing? Hope you had a tremendous weekend. I had a good one, man. Friday night, we partied with some other parent friends. We had a great time, you know, getting together with other adults. Uh, Then the next day, my wife volunteers me to go with a bunch of 12-year-olds for a birthday party to play paintball. Hungover, 20 kids in the Bellflower Desert in 100-degree heat. So, I mean, that was awesome. Look, man, we keep ramping up. It looks more and more like we're going to be in nuclear war any single day. If Putin is going to nuke us, I think he should start with Bellflower, California, man. There's just nothing out there but desert, meth labs, dog fighting rings. It's, it's awful. I'm kidding, man. If Putin nukes us, he should start with Delaware because nobody likes Delaware. Then yesterday, I had a good Sunday, you know, watching football. And then towards the evening, I went lobster diving because, guys, I'm a manly man with manly hobbies. I used to rock climb. I can't do that anymore because I had surgery on my wrist, so I can't bend my wrist. I had that surgery because I fell rock climbing because I'm super manly. So anyway, strapped on an oxygen tank, walked down the dangerous steep cliffs of Palos Verdes, and then I went, I went diving and I tried to catch some lobsters to feed my family. But you know, here's the thing. As, as big as a manly man as the dad is, when it comes to sense of direction, I'm, I'm an Asian lady, man. I am an Asian lady when it comes to sense of direction. Actually, I'm worse than an Asian lady. I am a blind Asian lady with dyslexia. I get lost everywhere. I even get lost sometimes in my own neighborhood, and that's not a lie. One time, as a kid in winter, I was running. I used to be on the cross-country and track team. I got so lost that I had to call 911 to rescue me. And that's a true story. I am an embarrassment to mankind when it comes to figuring out where the hell I am and where I got to go. I once had to sleep on top of a mountain in the desert in Arizona because I was hiking and I couldn't figure out how to get back down the mountain. And it was Arizona. There's no vegetation to confuse you. It's just up and back down. I don't know, man. It's wild. It's wild how you can be so bad at certain specific things. Um, anyway, so I went, I went diving underwater with no guide alone at night and it got a little dicey because, you know, like another way that I am super manly manly is I have a consistent ability to overrate my skill level and I'm consistently overconfident in my personal abilities. So yeah, it was a bad decision. I mean, sure, I'd never been night diving before and, and sure, I'd never even actually gone diving without a guide before, but I could handle it. I had a compass, you know, I had a compass, I had a flashlight. Now, do I know how to use a compass? Eh, I mean, you know, how hard can it be? It says North, South, East, West, you point it, you go, right? So anyway, I walked down this, this massive steep cliff. It's about a half mile long. I'm count, carrying 80 pounds of gear, like a total man, like a boss, not a big deal. No problem. Stopped at the bottom of the hill to catch my breath and get my heart attack to settle down a little bit. 
and then I go diving. Every other time I've gone diving, I've gone, you know, open water where you just fall off the back of the boat. I had no idea that gear weighed 80 to 100 pounds, but 80, 80 to 100 pounds for a manly man like me, it's nothing. So maybe I had a tiny heart attack on the way down the hill. It was a little heart attack, not a big deal. Then I carried it into the ocean and, and I went, I went swimming. Um, now down there at the bottom of the ocean, it's, it's, you know, it's dark. And, uh, you know, did my, did the batteries on my dive light die out 15 minutes into the dive? Yeah. But I mean, whatever, no problem. I'm a manly man. I'll figure it out. So I kept swimming around. I kept diving. There's some moonlight coming in. I could see a little bit, you know, like six inches in front of my face. And eventually my oxygen got down to about 25%. And I thought, well, you know, I should probably start heading back into land. Well, which way is that? Well, that's a good question. Um, let me just pull out this compass that I don't exactly know how to use. Um, so I swam for another, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, maybe 15 minutes. I don't know. And my oxygen got down to about 10%. And I still wasn't in shallow waters. It was still very deep, you know, maybe 40, 50 feet. And yeah, there were definitely sharks just probably circling around like, you know, like birds of prey waiting for me to die so they could eat my dead carcass. But, but fuck it, man. I, I once punched a tiger shark in the face in Belize in 2015. And that's a true story. You can ask the bride. So this manly man is not afraid of a couple sharks. So at 10% oxygen, I decide I got to surface and look around and figure out what's going on here because I'm low on oxygen. Do you know that? Not because I'm scared, but just to confirm that I'm definitely going in the right direction. So I ascend to the top, get up there. I look around. Well, guess what? It's pitch black outside. There's no lights on the beach. We're in Palos Verdes. There's no lights on the beach. I don't have a flashlight. And I'm too far out to see, to see the land. Maybe I've been swimming in the wrong direction for the whole time. I don't really know because I can't see anything. Can't see shit. So maybe I'll just hold my breath right now and make the dying process faster and less painful. I had enough oxygen to, to descend one more time and give it one last go. And I figured if I ran out of air down there and, you know, it's really no biggie, I could just take off the tank, ascend, swim the land in whatever direction that happened to be. I don't know. So anyway, I'm here today. I'm talking to you. So obviously I lived, I lived because I'm a man and I figured out how to use the compass and man, men figure out shit. Just like I figured out how to fix my wife's dryer last week. Blue collar Joe got it done. She doubted me. She wanted me to buy a new dryer or she wanted me to hire a professional. Lady, I got you. Blue collar Joe, he got you. You know, men fix things with their bare hands. So, anyway, I got out of the water, walked up that hill, you know, probably a half mile up the hill with my 80 pounds of gear. Now, did my heart start tightening up a little bit? Yep. Did I start getting a little bit paranoid about things like sudden adult death syndrome from that one vac shot I had last summer? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but I powered through because that's what a manly man does. I powered through. And later that night, my family was eating some delicious lobster that I bought at the grocery store because men provide with their bare hands. 
So, you know, other things have been going on out here in California. Uh, so much has been going on in California. I, I can't even get into everything that's been going on in California. But one thing I do want to touch on is a very good, a very dear friend of mine, his 12-year-old got expelled from school for some absolute BS. And I'm not going to get into it because it's not my place to say and put it out on blast. But, but basically, he was in the vicinity of an alleged racial incident between kids. Now, I know the parents. I know the kid. They're good parents. They're good kids. There was, there was nothing. There was nothing there. There was no violence. My friend's son was not even accused of anything. He was just near this supposed event. And, and that's enough in the modern in the modern era out here in California to get you in some trouble. So that had me fired up. Then I hear that PayPal, as we discussed in the last podcast, Dr. McCullough, PayPal is going to start fining users $2,500 if they spread misinformation or hate. And everybody knows that the dad presents is the California hotspot hub of misinformation and hate because we interviewed doctors who might save your life. Like today's doctor, Dr. J. Matthew Rett, you're going to dig him. We'll be with him in a minute. So that, that PayPal thing scared the hell out of me and I canceled my account. And, and I'm grateful to all of you who also canceled your accounts and sent a message to PayPal. They lost 6 billion in valuation. Fuck you guys. Good job, guys. You know, and then then we went to a movie this weekend. I think Thursday we went to a movie in an actual movie theater. I don't know if you guys even know about these things called movie theaters. I'd almost forgotten about them. It's been so long since we've been in one since you know the pandemic shut them all down, and then everybody's got Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and a movie theater. Like they're they're it's like a ghost town, but they're these cool spots. You go inside and you get popcorn and candy and. And you watch a movie on a giant screen with a hundred strangers around you, or maybe a dozen nowadays. And you know, you're, you're sitting next to some fat old lady and her triceps, her triceps fat is just spilling over into your seat. And it's wonderful. And then she farts a little bit at the funny part. And she giggles and it's great. It's a great experience. Great community thing. Um, but then I get home, I get home and I'm on social media and I found out guys, I don't know if you knew this, I'm homophobic. Found out I'm homophobic because I went to the movies, but I didn't go see Burroughs. Have you heard this? Billy Eichner, he's the actor and the writer of Bros, which is a comedy about gay guys. And if you don't go, it's because you're homophobic. And apparently nobody went because it completely bombed and Billy Eichner blamed its failure on homophobia. And this is just just more of a continuation of the same attitude that we've had in the past decade that has caused America to slide into an unruly hellhole of chaos. Nothing is ever my fault. Not my fault. It's always someone else's fault. I'm the victim. It's your fault. You didn't go to the movie. I'm a victim. You know, Billy, Billy Eichner, maybe your movie bombed because maybe it sucked. Maybe you suck at making movies, Billy. Do you ever think of that? Maybe you're a shitty actor or maybe it sucked because you made a romantic comedy and the people who usually like romantic comedies aren't dudes. They're women. Okay. And maybe women they don't want to see a romantic comedy where they can't fantasize about being Rachel McAdams falling in love with Ben Affleck or whatever. They can't they can't put themselves in the shoes of the gay guy who's trying to get the 
the gay sex, right? They can't put themselves in that character's shoes. So maybe it failed because women can't relate to it as well as they can a movie starring Rachel McAdams and Ben Affleck or whoever. Or maybe it failed. Maybe I didn't go to this movie because I didn't want my kids watching a movie with two hours of dudes sucking each other off. You know, I wouldn't take them to a movie with two hours of, of somebody motorboating a woman's tits, right? I wouldn't do that. So why am I going to take them to a movie where two guys are sucking each other off for two hours? Because essentially I read the reviews. It's kind of what it was. It was a very graphic movie. That doesn't make me homophobic. Makes me a good parent, Billy Eichner. Your movie, it's filled with raunchy sex scenes. I wouldn't take my kids to see eyes wide shut, bro. You know? I'm not homophobic. Not perfectly comfortable around gay men. I enjoy the company of gay men. They make me giggle. They make me giggle like a little gay queen. I find them very entertaining and lovely people. I, and I even like gay entertainment. I took my wife to see Brokeback Mountain on opening night. You know why? Because it was a good movie. It was really well done. What, and one of my all-time favorite shows is, is Queer as Folk. Queer as Folk. I think it was a Showtime show it was set in Pittsburgh about five gay friends. And it was fascinating. And the writers knew how to weave a good story and make me laugh. And I love a good story. I'm a storyteller. I like to laugh. So I, I watched every single episode of that, of that show. I don't even know how long it lasted, but I watched them all. Queer as Folk. It's a great show. Go check it out. I watched that, uh, that, that Matthew McConaughey stripper movie. I can't, I can't think of the name of it right now, but I watched that movie at home alone, bro. I watched a Matthew McConaughey Tatum Channing stripper movie alone. That might actually make me gay. Why did I watch that alone? The bride was in bed. She wasn't there with me. Why did I watch it? Well, it was really entertaining. It was on TV. I turned it on. I was curious and it hooked me. It was a good story. And also, you know, Tatum Channing, he's got them bumps. He has a great ass. I'm kidding. His ass ain't that great. My ass is better. I got a better ass than Tatum Channing. I'm just saying it. See, there goes that classic male uh, overestimation of, of one's self-worth. Super manly. Um, but yeah, I'm okay with watching another man shake his ass on stage. Doesn't bother me. My wife and I, we went to the Philippines, like, I don't know, 2015, something like that. I don't remember the year, but we were there. And it just so happened to be the last time the Steelers got into the playoff or into the Super Bowl. And it was the AFC championship. And the only place I could watch it was at a gay strip club. And I've never missed a Steeler playoff game. So I took the wife and we went and we watched it on a 12 inch TV screen up in the corner. And it was fine. You know why I'm okay with all that? Because it doesn't intimidate me. It doesn't weird me out. And I'm not worried I'll turn gay because I've been a straight guy for 49 years. I'm not worried about it. Right? I didn't go see your movie Bros because it looked stupid and because I don't like romantic comedies. Not into it, bro. I like movies like Fight Club and Pulp Fiction. You know, I want to see some, some drugs and I want to laugh and I want to see some girls and itty bitty things. I'm just not into it. 
and I'm definitely not taking my kids to it. Come on. Americans are not homophobic. Stop blaming failure on other people and stop it with all these terms like homophobia, um, racist, uh, transphobic, all this stuff. First of all, homophobia. I don't know anyone who's afraid of gay people. I don't know any straight man who's afraid of gay people. They're just not that tough most of the time. Now, I would estimate that probably 20% of gay of straight men are a little uncomfortable with gay men. I know some guys like that. But so what, dude? So what? Is it a crime? Is everyone expected to be comfortable with everybody's lifestyle? Are they? It makes you phobic if someone's lifestyle is not relatable to you or you're not completely comfortable with it. I mean, they try to paint this picture all the time, like it's all the minorities against straight white people, specifically straight white men, straight white man. You're bad. You're bad. You're bad. Right. Every, everybody else is being persecuted by a straight white man. And it's just not like that. Look, man, I know racist gay people. I know some racist ass gay people. Okay. I know some racist ass gay Filipino minorities. I know a metric shit ton of homophobic black people. And I, no, I'm not going to use that word homophobic. I know a metric shit ton of black people who are not comfortable around gay folk. They don't like it. It doesn't jive with their Christianity. And maybe they're a little bit afraid that it might turn them gay. I don't know. But judging from all the people I do know, I would say there's a whole lot more black people who are uncomfortable with, with home, with homo, homo, homos. No, whole lot more black people who are uncomfortable with homosexuality and a whole lot more gay people who are racist than either one of those applying to straight white men. So straight white people have been beating themselves up with white guilt for a decade. And guess what? White people ain't better for it. Communities are not better for it. Black people aren't better for it. Shit needs to stop. I know some super over-the-top religious people. I grew up with that, right? I also know some far-left liberals who are uncomfortable with super religious people. Does that make those liberals religious-phobic? Does it? Because that's, that's the mindset you're in. Like If you're not with that lefties are in, if you're not comfortable with somebody's lifestyle, it's a phobia and you're a bigot. So lefties, are you bigots when you're not comfortable with someone's uh, praying at your kid's school? Does that make you uncomfortable? Does that make you a bigot? You know, sometimes I take the trash out, out to the garbage can in my underwear. Cause when I'm home at night, I'm in my underwear. Some people might be uncomfortable with that. Does that make you uh, racist? or phobic. The entire neighborhood can see me every night sitting in my jacuzzi naked. I don't give a shit. I go out to that jacuzzi. I paid a lot of money for that jacuzzi. I work hard to get that jacuzzi and I like to sit in that jacuzzi naked. I know some of my neighbors aren't comfortable with that. They're fine to avert their eyes, right? Sometimes I hang out in my backyard. I smoke meat. I listen to music. I drink beer and I shoot my 22 at the empties in the backyard at Redondo Beach. Is it legal? No, it's not, but I do it. And that makes some people uncomfortable. Now, are they bigots because they don't want to see my big swinging dick in the hot tub or because they don't like the fact that I'm shooting my 22 in the backyard? Does that make them bigots? Are they bigots? No, they're not. I'm an asshole for doing those things a little bit. And they're not comfortable with it. And that's normal life. And there's some straight people 
are not comfortable with the homosexual homosexual lifestyle. And that's okay. They're not bigots. Like, what is what does this thing become where if you're not comfortable, you're a bigot? If you don't want to date a trans woman, you're a bigot. If 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 my wife, God forbid, dies tomorrow, she dies tomorrow, I'll be on Tinder immediately. Uh, I'll do the proper. I'll wait till after the funeral. Then I'll be on Tinder swiping for 22-year-olds. I missed out on that whole Tinder scene. I got married too young. Actually, I got married at about 35, but I got married before Tinder. I blew it. Not the point. Not the point. If my wife would die tomorrow and I got back into the dating scene and I refused to date a trans woman, meaning a person with a penis calls themselves a woman, I'm a bigot. I'm a bigot for not being into dick. Fucking nonsense, man. I got single buddies right now who are liberal and who are dating. I promise you they're not dating trans women with peckers. And I promise you they don't think they're bigots. And they're not bigots. If you don't want someone with a penis to compete against your daughter in a swimming contest, you're a bigot. You're not just a protective dad who loves his daughter and wants her to have a fair competition against other women. No, you're a bigot because you don't want her getting her ass kicked by some six foot four lady with a pecker. You're a bigot. If you don't want to see Billy Eichner's terrible ass movie, you are a bigot. If you don't pay me a gay black woman. Yeah, I'm a gay black woman. That's how I identify. And if you don't pay me to educate your office on why they are passively racist, you're a bigot for not giving me your money. That's, that's quite the scam, right? That's going on in corporations all over America. They pay these, these, these uh, lesbian black ladies to come in and educate them on why they're racist. And they get tens of thousands of dollars for these seminars. What a scam. I want to run that game. I want to run that game. How can I make that kind of money? I mean, are you starting to get it? Are you starting to get it? You're a bigot. That's it. Straight white man, you're a bigot. No matter what. That's why I don't, I don't really, when someone calls me those things anymore, I know I'm not those things. So I don't even argue it. I just say, yep, okay. That's me. Racist, bigot, transphobic, homophobe. That's me. Don't care. Don't care. You're a bigot no matter what. And they call you this and you can't get out of it. Not because they think you are that. Sure, some of your neighbors might be dumbasses who have been convinced by the media that these things are giant problems, but most of it is coming from the top down and it's coming down to control you because a bigot is the worst thing that you can be. So if they call you a bigot, they can manipulate your behavior because you're a good person. You don't want to be a bigot, but fuck that. Be a bigot or at least be a bigot in the way they're telling you you are. Because what a bigot is now is if, you want to be colorblind and treat everybody the same. That's bigotry. That's bigotry now. Martin Luther King, today's world, if you were white, would be a bigot for wanting to judge men by the character of their content of their character. Sorry. That's the desert heat getting in my brain. Couldn't recall that that quick. And you know, people just, they, they nod their heads. They go along with this stuff, just nod their heads like, like lazy robots. It's amazing. Democrats cheered on vaccine mandates, cheered on people losing their jobs, cheered on nurses who they were calling heroes six months earlier, cheered them on losing their jobs because they didn't want the vaccine. Thought it was great. Fuck those nurses. They, they're grandma killers. 
Well, six months earlier, they were saving grandma, according to you. You were cheering them in the streets of Italy and, and New York City. Now you're cheering on that they're losing their jobs. Madness. People cheered on cities being burnt down. Cheered it on because the right people were burning them down for the right thing. Black Lives Matter is burning down cities. They were cheering it on because, yeah, racism is the biggest problem in America. And this is how we fight back. They didn't cheer on the trespassing in the Capitol. No. And now these same people who cheered on all this nonsense, they are cheering on people who are losing their bank accounts. That started in China, spread up to Canada. Now it's here. If you say the wrong thing, you can lose your bank account. The dad presents is going to lose their bank account. It's inevitable. That's where we are going. They will take away your bank account and your liberal neighbor will cheer it on. And, uh, you know, as I learned history in, in grade school and high school, I could never wrap my mind around how Nazism happened. Like, sure, this one dude was a crazy motherfucker and, and he didn't like the Jews and he blamed all the world's problems on the Jews and he wanted to get rid of the Jews. But how do you get the rest of the population to go along with that and start grabbing little Jew babies and sticking them in an oven and killing them? How do you get a population to go along with that? Could never wrap my mind around it because he's a good person. I'm a good person. Most people I knew were good people. They would never, they would never grab a Jewish person or any kind of person and shove them in an oven. What are we, a society of Jeffrey Dahmers? No, we're good people. But now I get it. I get how that happened. It happened because people are weak-minded follower bitches. We don't have enough leaders. And when we once in a while we get a charismatic leader who's evil, he can get people to follow because people are ready and willing to follow. And people are, love the group think and they love a mob mentality and they get sucked in. It's like Dr. Mateus Desmond talked to us on our show about mass formation psychosis. Now, I am not making a comparison. So don't even start with making a comparison to today's America and Nazism. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that. That is not being done. What I'm saying is I understand how you can get an entire population to go along with some evil shit. Guys, look, man, they're constantly dividing us and we can't let them do it anymore. We can't let them divide us by skin color, by gender, by sexuality. None of that. Hey, you, you're a brown skin. So what? So what? Hey, you, you like dick and I don't. So what? We're people. We're all people. We're not our skin color. We're not our gender. We're not our sexuality. These are just characteristics. We're individuals and collectively we are families. We are friends. We are communities. And this nonsense has gotten on my nerves to the nth degree because of everything that just happened with my friend's kid, who's a good kid and he has good parents. And because of this Billy Eichner thing, it's destructive to society. Fucking over it. Fucking quit it. Look, man, I'm not even a straight white man. You can't prove I am because it's not a real thing. I'm a lady. I'm trans. I'm gay. I'm bi. I'm black and Asian. I'm an Eskimo. I'm a pygmy. I'm a cannibalistic pygmy. I'm John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. This is dumb. Everyone grow up. 
Enough of that rant. Let's get into the show. ExpressVPN.com slash the dad. Look, guys, the FBI and NSA, they're tracking you, man. If you're a parent and you use the word liberty or patriot in your bio on Twitter or whatever, or you talk about it on Facebook, guess what? They're spending money to track your web activity. Last year alone, 4 million Americans were tracked. That data recently came out. 4 million Americans were spied on by the FBI, and they're not going after the lefties. So protect yourself and protect your family with a VPN blocker from expressvpn.com slash the dad. There's just no reason to not do this at this point. You get three free months. If you don't like it by the fourth month, you cancel. Cancel by month four. You never pay for it. So try it out, expressvpn.com slash the dad. Protect yourself, protect your privacy, protect your family. Our second sponsor is zstacklife.com slash the dad. Guys, COVID's still here. Still here. People aren't dying from it, but you don't want to get it. I had it. It's no fun. Flu season's coming back around. Get your body right and ready and healthy. Exercise. Eat right and get all the vitamins you need for a strong immune system in one dose from Z-Stack Life, which was created by the great Dr. Zelenko, who is one of the first brave doctors to stand up and fight against the COVID regime. Go to ZStackLife.com slash dad, get 15% off, get your body right. Let's get back into the show. Today, friends, we are with Dr. J. Matthew Rett. He was an academic scientist studying population genetics in snails, which sounds super boring, but it's probably important. He's now at the Medical University of Southern California, or I'm sorry, Southern Carolina, where he studied inflammatory response and tissue engineering and later studied therapies for cancer. Now he works in the medical communications field, mostly in oncology. Dr. Rhett has a super impressive resume. He's, he's highly published. But mostly I wanted to have him on the show because he goes by the name J. Matthew, and so do I. And I've never met another J. Matthew, so that's pretty cool. So, um, Dr. J. Matthew, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, yeah, thank you for that introduction. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever met another, another J. Matthew either. Yeah. Uh, just to correct a couple of things. Um, so the population genetics, that was something I did as an undergrad. I, I wouldn't say I'm a yeah. population geneticist. Right. Um, and I'm no longer at MUSC. I, I uh, left MUSC a couple of years ago to, to work in medical communications. Right. And uh, I'd say the rest of it is about correct. Um, OK, so I got about 20 percent correct. <laughs> <laughs> right. it's, it's close enough. And, you know, I mean, like, you know, you're saying that my, my publication record is, is impressive. But, you know, I, I don't see myself as, you know, any kind of special uh, scientist or, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, highly published in science or nature or any of the, the high impact journals that, uh, you know, a lot of the more famous scientists are, are well published in. I, I would, uh, categorize myself more as, um, you know, sort of a, a work a day scientist. I'm, you know, there's a, there's a thousand other scientists just like me that are working in academia and, and industry. And, All right medical communication so i mean i I think that the stop being humble it's it's good we got it we got it there's there's people more qualified on certain things but but you've you've been published i looked at some of them it's it's impressive stuff um well yeah and and i'm very qualified to talk about molecular biology and cell biology which i think you know pertains to a lot of the uh 
the <laughs> what, we've, what we've all experienced in the last few years. Um, and so I'm not saying that I'm not qualified. What, what I am saying is that I think that my experience and my knowledge represents, you know, a lot of a lot of people um, that are that are out there in the scientific world that you don't hear from um, yes. just because, you know, we, we all need jobs. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, if you have a, a dis- an opinion that is not in line with the, the greater narrative, I mean, that's that's a concern. Uh, you know, I've had colleagues in the last couple of years that, um, you know, have expressed very disparaging opinions to me about, you know, anti-vaxxers and, uh, you know, just people that won't get vaccinated or, or you know, uh, just don't buy into the narrative in, in, in some way. And, you know, usually they, they don't, they're not aware of, you know, my vaccination status. And, you know, I, don't really, I don't really think it's anybody's business anyway, but, um, you know, it's, they're, they're expressing it to me without necessarily knowing they just assume, right. Mm -hmm. It's kind of assumed that if you're, you're in, if you're in medicine, you're vaccinated. That's what, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I, I know, um, you know, several people that, um, you know, got vaccinated just because they needed to keep their job. Um, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of us have loans that we have to pay back and, you know, they're afraid that, uh, you know, especially people who have gotten MDs, you know, they might have half a million dollars in loans right. and, you know, they're, they're in, and, you know, well, family thousand of that can get forgiven now. So now they would only have <laughs> 490,000. <000. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 20. Right. If, uh, right. I think there's, if you had a Pell grant, oh, um, yeah, but yeah, and you know, there, there are actually, you know, in, in case people aren't aware, there are actually good ways, or well, I don't know what you consider good, but there are ways that you can actually get your whole loan forgiven depending on where you've worked. There, there are loan forgiveness programs where if you work in um, nonprofit sector or um, like state-funded hospitals, that kind of thing. Especially if you're, well, they've changed the rules recently, but. Um, you know, it used to be that if you were doing like work with, with patients and uh, stuff like that, then, then you could get your loan forgiven over a period of years. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I too was saddled with loans and loans um, were a big factor in my twenties and thirties, trying to make that monthly payment. And I've come to realize that the reason my loans were so expensive is only because the government enables that. They make it impossible for you to get out of your loans. So whatever they've done this time, we don't have you on to talk about loans, but whatever the government is now doing to forgive loans, it's only going to lead to bigger debt for the next generation of students. So we're going to come circle right back to this problem. It's just, it's all government created. Um, But okay. So, so, you know, a lot about inflammation and whatnot, and I understand from my limited knowledge of the medical profession and what I've talked to from doctors and working in medicine myself, and also just being a person who's had to get very in, involved in my own uh, healthcare because I've had a lot of problems over the years. I understand that inflammation is at the center of most disease processes. So number one, is it, and what can people do? What would you recommend to people to lower their risk of inflammation and disease? Well, yeah, before I answer anything, first I'll, I'll you know clarify that I'm not a medical doctor. I, I have a PhD in biomedical sciences, and I do not give medical advice. So I, I don't want anybody to to uh, 
mistake anything I say for, for medical advice. My, my personal feeling is, well, so first of all, to answer your question about inflammation, um, the, the context I studied inflammation in was um, in, in wound healing and implanted devices. So I, I worked in the Department of Surgery at the Medical University of South Carolina, um, and it turns out that surgeons put a lot of stuff in people. They, you know, there are pacemakers that, that get implanted, there are cosmetic implants, there's, uh, you know, meshworks for, for hernia repair, all kinds of things. And you know, your body reacts to all of these things like they're a foreign body. Mm-hmm. So um, what I can tell you about the inflammatory response is that, uh, you know, especially when it comes to these situations, um, it's, it can be uh, damaging to your own system because the initial part of the inflammatory response it's uh, through cells called neutrophils that are sort of like kamikazes that they come into uh, a wound and just sort of release a lot of uh, uh, peroxides and cytotoxic chemicals to mainly to, you know to, the idea is to clear bacteria and um, you know provide sort of a you know, uh, a clean space for, for wound healing to occur. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, in the context of like general health, I mean, I think it's, you know, pretty well known that, you know, things like obesity, um, you know, are sort of systemic inflammatory states. So my, my personal feeling around inflammation and, and health in general is, you know, just, you know, to try to, well, I mean, for almost, for most diseases, you know, cancer, heart disease, those are the two big killers. Um, but also COVID, you know, it's known that there's a correlation between obesity and, and all of these diseases. So, I mean, you can reduce your risk for just, the, you know, I mean, you know, joint health, everything, uh, you know, you can reduce your risk of, of uh, disease simply by, by losing weight and, and eating healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're fat in America. We're, 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 we're a fat population and we have, we have more cancer than ever before. Um, the cancer in some way has to be related to inflammation due to our diets, like all the chemicals and everything in it, doesn't it? Like in your opinion, are our diet, are our diets fueling our disease process with cancer and whatnot? I, I'm sure that they, I mean, depends on what you're eating, right? You know, if you're eating, um, you know, a lot of McDonald's, then I'm, I'm sure that's, that's, you know, that well, a lot of people are. I mean, that's, that's, that's a staple of a lot of people's diets, especially out here in the cities. That's just, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I've seen a study that specifically correlates fast food with, with cancer. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, I'm sure there's gotta be one for heart disease, um, I mean, if nothing else, you know, high levels of things like triglycerides and that kind of thing uh, correlate with, with heart disease. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, levels of cancer, I mean, I think that there's probably a couple things going on. I mean, part of it is just that we live longer and something's got to take you out eventually. And, you know, part of the aging process is you're just going to accumulate mutations over time. I mean, there's, there's something in cancer called the, the, the two hit hypothesis where, um, you know, so you have a lot of genes that, well, there's basically two types of genes that are involved in cancer. There's, there's tumor suppressors and there's, um, oncogenes. So tumor suppressors are genes that are normally involved in, um, promoting things like apoptosis, you know, or, 
um, senescence of cells that, uh, you know, are starting to, to accumulate mutations that would cause them to grow out of control. So um, you may have heard of a, a protein called P53. That's probably the most famous tumor suppressor, and it's mutated in, you know, a huge percentage of cancers. Uh, on the other side, you have oncogenes, which are genes that are, if activated, cause your cells to proliferate more and more. Um, and, you know, there are a number of those, uh, probably the most famous one out of those would be RAS, uh, which is involved in pancreatic cancer. That's, that's one that I, I worked on for a couple of years in academia. And it's kind of a, it's a very tough target because it's a, a protein that just has very few, um, uh, you know, three-dimensional structural features that are easy for, to target with the small molecules. So they have yet to find anything that can, that can specifically target RAS. And so if you get something like pancreatic cancer that's driven by RAS, they don't really have any good drugs to, to, to target your cancer. But in any case, you know, the, the idea is that over time you accumulate mutations and eventually you get a cell that has, um, you know, two hits on the same gene because you have two copies of each gene. And, you know, then that cell starts to grow out of control. So age is definitely related to increase in, in cancer incidence. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if, well, I mean, I guess, you know, uh, there's, there's probably some effect too of system, systemic inflammation as you get older as well. Although, I, I, you know, Could, I can't. You, you're talking about a couple hits to the same gene. You also mentioned before that surgeons implant a lot of things into our bodies. Like could things like... So I have an artificial disc in my spine. I have a plate in my wrist. I've got uh, screws in my shoulder. Could things like that lead to cancer because they're foreign bodies in put into your body and the body doesn't know what to do with them? You know, I, I don't know. I've never heard of an association between implants and cancer. I mean, the, so, what we, you know, it, so surgeons use these tools because most of the time they work. It's just, you know, occasionally you get somebody that uh, gets uh, what's called capsular contracture. So a lot of times you'll see it with breast implants where, you know, you, you, the, the body will form a capsule around the implant and start to squeeze on it. And you get this kind of hard, you know, uh, uh, tissue that surrounds it and it's, you know, painful and disfiguring. Mm -hmm. Um, same thing can happen with, with pacemakers where your body tries to, uh, extrude it through your skin. Um, it's, it's rare, but it, it happens. So, I mean, that, that's sort of an unresolved inflammatory response. Okay. Um, sometimes it, it happens that, you know, your, your body sort of, uh, you know, forms a much thinner layer, um, of, um, you know, usually it's kind of collagenous tissue, sort of like scar tissue that you get in a wound or around an implant. And, uh, you know, it, it, your body lives with it and, and you're fine. So, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody that has, you know, some kind of implant, whether, you know, it's like, like you said, plates to, uh, stabilize bones or, you know, uh, implanted discs or whatever to, you know, worry about cancer. I mean, I, I guess, you know, my, my feeling about um, any kind of, you know, medical intervention is just, you know, you, you just want to make sure that the, the, the juice is worth the squeeze, um, you know, and, and I right. think that medicine try, tends to oversell. I think you're hundred um, percent right on that. Like solutions. It, I, I realize that now in my forties and I, I, don't, I think 
I th- and I think that's changing in the culture because of COVID. I think most people, you go to a doctor and you trust that doctor. You, you, you blindly trust, like you, you have two conversations with a guy and then you let him cut you open and, and fill you up with whatever he thinks is necessary. Sometimes you don't know the names of the procedures he's even doing. And we're raised to have trust in our institutions and in our professionals and you, and a society needs that to be healthy and go forward. But I believe that COVID has built so much distrust into society that people are trusting medical professionals less. And on some level, I think that's good, like, because you will go to a doctor or a surgeon and that surgeon wants to do surgery because surgery makes him money. That's how he feeds his family. So they, they will have a tendency to oversell a surgery and it's good for the patient to be a little more hesitant and ask questions and not just jump at that. And I think that's one of the benefits that might come out of COVID is that people are now asking more questions of the medical community. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I mean, I think the, the financial incentive is, is, is a part of it and it may be, you know, indirect in a lot of cases. I mean, this is what doctors are trained to do. They're, they're trained to diagnose and prescribe either medications or some procedure to, to correct a, a defect. Very rarely, I mean, you know, like type two diabetes is a huge problem in our, mm-hmm. in our culture, and it leads to things like heart disease and, and cancer. So, I mean, maybe that's that's a uh, that's all part of you know the increase in, in, in cancer rates. Um, but you know, I think that there's probably not that much effort in uh, you know getting patients to try and change their lifestyle, and a lot more effort. Um, just in, in terms of money that's that's spent yeah. uh, towards me- medicalizing and, and prescribing. Well, I think also that happens the way doctors are educated. When they're educated, like th- yeah. they don't learn a lot in medical school about diet and exercise. It's all it's all about you know it's all very technical, but they they leave out the basics in a lot of ways. So then they're not passing that on to the patients. And I think we saw that from the highest level in COVID, like. The two biggest risk factors for COVID are being old and being fat, right? And you never yeah. heard Fauci say, go exercise. He never once said that in two years, get outside, go exercise. And in fact, he said, stay inside, right? So you see it from the, the highest level yeah. down They're They're just not, either they're not getting that or they're being purposefully and willfully ignorant on it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like <laughs> I, I distinctly remember uh, posting to one of my, my, uh, it was one of my, my former grad school uh, colleagues, uh, you know, hey, you know, maybe, um, you know, we should all start to get a little healthier now, try and eat less, get exercise, get sun and fresh air and, you know, uh, make sure our vitamin D levels are where there should be. And his response was something like, um, well, you know, it's it's too late for that, you know, or, or you know, that's that's not going to happen in time. And, you know, this was around the time of the, the, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve. Right. And, you know, I mean, I think that, it, that, you know, even, you know, like people like me and I, I'm lucky to have, you know, a group of, you know, highly educated friends that all kind of saw the same thing at the same time where, you know, there was this cl- clear age stratification in the, uh, you know, the, the, the morbidity and mortality of, of COVID and, you know, so 
you know, we were sort of like, uh, this is probably not, this is not going to work. And, um, you know, it, 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 like, why are we locking down everybody when, you know, it's really, you know, the, the aged and, and I don't think, well, I guess, yeah, we, we must've known something about obesity at that point. You know, just, mm-hmm. I think just being healthy in general, uh, was, was probably already correlated back then. Um, well, it is with you know, really every disease. So we had, right. I mean, even if we didn't have the hard data, you had to know that in general. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that, you know, it was sort of like, okay, well, let's try the two weeks to flatten the curve thing. But then when that was over, it was like, yeah, actually, we're just going to keep the, the schools closed for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, now we're going to start wearing masks, but we're just going to wear masks for like this month. Mm. And at least that's how, how it was where I am. I'm, I'm in South Carolina. So things were a little bit more laissez-faire here, yeah. but still, you know. Well, it two was weeks like, to flatten the curve here in California was was about 20 months, not, not two weeks. I mean, the, the schools yeah. were closed for an entire year and then they wore masks for a whole nother year. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess we were kind of like a, a year shifted uh, where the 2020, 2021 school year, the kids were basically wearing masks all year and they were getting sent home anytime they were anywhere near anybody that, you know, had a positive COVID test, uh, whatever that means. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure, you know, the, the whole ground of the CT value on, on PCR tests has been covered a million times. So you don't need to hear me talk about it, but, you know, uh, just like, you know, kids are getting sent home. That's, that's part of the reason I went and got a, a, a job in medical communications because I could work from home, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the point is it, it all kind of got dragged out way beyond the, the point of common sense. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I think that, go ahead. Well, I, I want to ask you, so you, you're a little bit hesitant to speak on this stuff and it's understandable because people have lost their jobs for this sort of thing, right? A lot of doctors have faced a lot of per- persecution, public scrutiny, uh, been censored, been just bashed, had some fan, some doctors have had their families come after, like it's been an ugly scene. So that is all understandable. As time has moved on, it's become more and more doctors have felt comfortable because so much of the facts are now unavoidable and just in your face. And it's becoming much harder for the COVID narrative to sustain itself in the face of all of these facts and data. So like you even see some of it on CNN at this point, right? However, so I, so it seems like more and more doctors are coming out, which is a good thing. However, you now have something like out here in California just in the past week, well, where they will now take away your medical license if you spread disinformation. That is now policy in California. They can take away your license to be a doctor for spreading misinformation, whatever that term actually means, because it's not clearly defined. So that's clearly an effort to dial back the amount of doctors who have begun to come forward. Does that give you pause? Does that make you worry more? Do you expect that to spread into other States? Where where do you think all this goes? I mean, it almost seems like overkill to me because, you know, most of us have kind of self-censored, you know, and often, you know, people that, and you know, th- this is one of the things that really upsets me over the last couple of years is that, you know, you, you had these vaccine mandates at hospitals and universities 
where you know people with medical degrees and PhDs in biology, biomedical sciences, you know, related fields where you know there's just no one more qualified to be able to make their own healthcare decisions. Not only feeling like they can't talk about uh, you know what they want to choose or choose not to talk about it or what have you, but just you know like feeling that they have to get this medical procedure, uh, you know, despite their, their better judgment. Um, and you know, it's, that's really infuriating, mm. but you know, as far as like what's going on with that, the, the bill in California, I mean, I would be shocked if, if that, you know, I, I can't, I couldn't see that getting passed here in South Carolina and, um, you know, most of the South, definitely not somewhere like Florida. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, what's, what's scary about it is that they, that they feel empowered enough to do that. And to me, I mean, that's, what's um, really dangerous, you know, the, the, and, you know, it's, it's not just in medicine, it's, it's, it's also in science. And, you know, part of the reason that you don't have to, you know, um, like you don't have to codify it into law in most places because like your, your job is tied to it. Like you, and even if you, you know, have somehow managed to like work from home for the past two years or whatever, because you're not allowed to go back to, to work because you're not vaccinated or, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just assume that everybody at universities now is vaccinated, but you know, like if you look at any of the, the scientific conferences or the medical conferences, you can't attend them without uh, showing your, your, your vaccine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. certificate and well, yeah you said you said that you know the the craziest thing is that they are forcing doctors it's wild it's wild when you really just step back and think about it politicians were forcing medical doctors to get a medical treatment they didn't think was in their best interest that's that's really but that's crazy right like yeah the politicians people who know nothing were forcing experts to get the thing that they are experts in that they didn't want. That's, that's just wild. Now you said you, you, you wouldn't expect this law that we have in California to spread to places like South, South Carolina. And a couple of years ago, I would have agreed with you on that. Like South Carolina and California are wildly different places with wildly different populations. But we also here in California just had this new law passed again by Gavin, the dickless mannequin mayor or governor, um, where in by 2035, they will not allow gas powered cars to be sold. Okay. Which sounds outrageous. Like there's no infrastructure built for this. There's no plan for how they're going to get this done. Also in 17 other States have agreed and signed on to do exactly the same thing as California. Like they have not even written their own law. They're just like piggybacking California. So apparently California has a lot of power nationally. So where you say you wouldn't expect that to happen, I can't say I agree with that because I, I've just paid attention the last three years. Like these authoritarian policies seem to start in California and New York, and then they spread everywhere eventually. Well, I, I, I think um, maybe I can provide a little optimism. I mean, first, I would say that, you know, there, there's been a, a lot of people that have left California in the last couple of years. And those are, you know, unfortunately for the people remaining in California, uh, you know, those are probably the people that, that disagree with those types yeah. of uh uh, legislation and, and policies, but 
you know, uh, so, you know, I, I can speak to my own sort of, um, you know, political leanings and what I've seen, you know, sort of a, a trend I've seen in, in people who have thoughts similar to me, which is that, you know, I, I started out very much on, on the left. You know, I, I voted for Obama in 2008. And, you know, I mean, that's probably where my, my disillusionment with the institution started because, you know, this, this guy who, you know, was, was a, a, a real big hope to a lot of us for, you know, um, you know, things like qu- closing Guantanamo and stopping the wars right. and, mm-hmm. um, no, no, you I know, haven't. no, and, and including, you know, uh, socialized medicine, which, you know, I've changed my opinion on, but at the time, you know, I, I thought that, that I mean, philosophically, I, I think that, you know, in, in Western culture where we have as much resources as we do, you know, there's just not a good reason why everybody shouldn't be taken care of. Now, having said that, um, you know, I, I think that things have changed. But let me, let me go back to what I was saying about political leanings and how I've shifted over the years. And, and what I've seen, you know, in, in, in similar uh, people with similar dispositions is that, we, you know, a lot of us became disillusioned. Um, we recognized that there was a lot of corporate influence in, in politics. And, you know, uh, that in, you know, like the, the, well, in 2012, I didn't even vote. The 2016 and, and 2020 elections, um, you know, I voted voted for Bernie in the primaries and then uh, voted for Green in the in the generals. Um, but, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, it, it's become clear to me that there's just like there's so much political influence from, you know, moneyed interests mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I, I don't I don't trust our government to to run things like health care. Because I wouldn't want a system where even if everybody was taken care of in some way, they're still receiving medical treatment that is, um, you know, based on the profits of insurance. Well, wouldn't be insurance companies anymore, but at least, you know, for-profit pharma. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, so I I just, I've sort of slowly shifted over into a more libertarian perspective, just because I think that, you know, even if, you know, we did want, you know, socialist policies, we, we couldn't trust our government the, the way it currently operates. We, you know, kind of have to, you know, get rid of, of all these, well, these yes. influences. You, you, I think you just described uh, to a degree the, the path I went on, although mine started happening after the Iraq war. Um, and so many former liberals who now lean libertarian, because what you eventually realize is that government is captured by big business, right. big business and big government are in a partnership and they take care of each other and we all just get screwed. So there's the idea of uh, socialist medicine sounds uh, beautiful. Like everybody should be able to get all the healthcare they need, but it just, it doesn't work in reality because the, the controlling bodies of that will always be corrupted. They, they, they always end up corrupted and it just ends up not working. Um, yeah. And it, it it takes, and I think that's why most people, most young people who are good people and see the world as this bright, beautiful, good place and have ambition and hope and, and want everybody to, uh, have a good life. They start off liberal and then slowly as the realities of the world hit them, they realize, well, those things just don't really actually work in practice. It just doesn't work because uh, 
evil rises up and and people are greedy. Greed takes over yeah. and corrupts government. Um, you you um, let's get back to um, uh, cancer. I wanted to ask you some, about something because you you sure. you have an invent you invented a peptide or I guess you co-invented a peptide with anti-cancer properties. I, I read a little bit about it. I really didn't understand it. Um, our technological and medical advancements over my lifetime have been incredible from like the eighties till now. It's been absolutely incredible. Like when I look back to 1980s medicine, we were idiots. We were just, we were dumb, right? Like the things you're doing back then seems so seem barbaric. Like we're, we, in the eighties, we were only a, like a generation away removed from giving children cigarettes to cure acne. Right. So medicine and technology, they advance very quickly and they're advancing faster and faster and faster. Are we getting closer to curing cancer? And what, what exactly was your peptide? What was that all about? So, uh, okay. Well, maybe I'll, I'll talk about the peptide first. So, so the, pe- so, uh, my graduate work and, um, my work in, as a faculty at MUSC was, um, based around a protein called connexin 43. It's a channel protein that um, is involved in propagation of electrical signals in, in heart tissue. So that's, that's kind of where uh, I, I really started was actually in, in cardiovascular biology. Um, but in the process of trying to figure out how this protein was regulated um, to try and understand maybe its role in arrhythmias and, and uh, myocardial infarctions or heart attacks, um, you know, we were using molecular tools to probe what its different parts did. So the, the peptide that I, that, uh, um, I, well, I, invent, I was a co-inventor on, I mean, there was several other people that, that worked on this. Um, yeah. you, you gotta but, be careful and clarify stuff like that these days after the, the trouble Robert Malone got into for not telling everybody who was involved with the MRNA, uh, technology. So yeah, I'm glad you clarified. Yeah, well, that. I'll, 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 I'll decline to mention anybody else's name because they, they may not want to be associated with, you know, my, right. my, uh, sort of, uh, uh, my opinions on COVID, but, uh, the, so the idea was, um, so in, in, with this protein in particular, there's a, a domain involved in microtubule binding that, uh, was originally kind of thought to be a stabilizing interaction. And so, yeah, we developed this peptide um, to mimic that same domain on the on the, the protein and act as a competitive inhibitor. So the idea is uh, you have this peptide and we attached an internalization domain to it that gets it across the cell membrane where it gets inside the cell and it can bind with microtubule uh, proteins, tubulin, and block it in the interaction of tubulin with um, this protein. So what was kind of unexpected and interesting was that when we um, put this peptide into cells, we just saw kind of an explosion of microtubule proliferation in these cells. So, you, you know, the, uh, microtubules are part of the, the cytoskeleton of cells. If you stain cells for, for tubulin to look at where tubulin is in cells, you get kind of like this uh, spider web looking um, image, uh, you know, with the cell nucleus at the center and then the cell periphery on the outside and the microtubules kind of spread out from the center to the, to the periphery of the cell. And the the reason this has um, anything to do with cancer is that, um, uh, one of the, so, you know, cancer cells divide and proliferate rapidly and, um, you know, they just don't stop. Right. And part of the proliferation process is mitosis. So, 
division of the cells and it involves um, you know division of the cell nuclei and segregation of the chromosomes between cells and that uh, microtubules are a integral part of this process where they they kind of um, form the spindle like network where they grab onto the chromosomes on the two you know, that will go to the two sister cells and pull them apart. So there are already a lot of cancer therapeutics that are um, you know, based on um, either causing microtubule proliferation or inhibiting microtubule proliferation. Either, either can have anti-cancer properties, but um, you know, like many cancer therapeutics, they're, they're sort of like, they're, they're weed killer, right? Because it doesn't just do that to your cancer cells, it does that to mm-hmm. your, your, your normal cells. Right. Um, and so what was kind of interesting about this peptide is, um, you know, when we put it on to normal cells, we didn't see any um, toxicity. Okay. So, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, my, my colleagues have, have taken this peptide and kind of well, carried that, on. I mean, that, that sounds like a, a major thing. So there's something that's, well, it, I mean, that's, kill the, that's some the cancer, beginning. but it won't kill the good cells. That's been the whole problem with, you know, all the, all the treatments to date, right? So why is this not something that is being widely used? Oh, well, okay. So, I mean, these are all in vitro studies. And I mean, the reason that it's not widely used is because it, you know, requires a lot of testing and, and, uh, you know, verification and validation. Oh, you mean like, like what we didn't do for the vaccines. So, so they don't, they don't want to skip all that for cancer, but they would just skip it all for COVID. Okay. Go on. Sorry. That's, that's, a, that's, that's actually a, a perfect segue. If, uh, well, um, uh, there, there was a question that you asked me about cancer in general. Are we getting I close? Think. Are we getting close to closer oh, okay. to curing it? Cause it seems like so, okay, maybe, gone. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll answer that first and then I'll come back to, uh, what, what you just brought up about testing. Um, so, uh, you know, is there going to be a cure for cancer anytime soon? I, I think that's, in a way that it's a question that doesn't even make a lot of sense to, to a, a, a biologist because, you know, cancer is not really one disease. It's, okay. You know, I get, I get it, you. That makes sense to me too, but yeah. It, it, I, yeah I, I mean, I'm not, not trying to say that you, you're not making sense. I'm just saying that like, you know, in the same way that there's no biological definition of race, mm-hmm. you know, that there's no one thing that you can call cancer except sure. for cells over proliferating right. and, you know, uh, uh, you know, killing you because they, they take up all of your nutrients and resources. But there should be a way to stop the process of that happening, right? So not necessarily a cure for cancer, but something to prevent the proliferation of cells from running wild. Is that a better way to ask it? <sighs> yeah, but I mean, there's still an issue because it's all very, you know, tissue and cell type dependent. And then, um, you know, the, the, the driver mutation dependent. So like I was talking about RAS mutations and mutations in, in, uh, P53. Um, I mean, there's, there's a million genes like that. And sometimes it's not necessarily mutations in in breast cancer. Um, it's just overexpression of, of certain growth factor receptors that, that cause cancer. So that, the, the the problem is that there are a million different root causes, you know, uh, for cancers in general, and even within one specific type of cancer. For for example, breast cancer is one I'm I'm pretty familiar with. There are, there are multiple different uh, what are called molecular subtypes. 
So, and they're, they're driven by, by different genes, different, uh, or, you know, if not mutations in the genes and overexpression of the genes, like, like I was just describing, or in, in, in some cases, uh, there's something called triple negative breast cancer mm-hmm. that, um, you know, like they, they, there just isn't like a defined right. molecular etiology. Well, let me ask so, you, let me ask you going along with that. So there's, there's many different causes for cancer. There's many different ways cancer develops in different tissues. Um, there's all kinds of different factors, but what on a really simple level, right? You have, sometimes you have tissue growth that is that the doctor will call it benign. Like I have this giant bubble growing in my forearm. The doctor took a sample. He's like, Oh, that's benign. And other times it's malignant. It's what makes that distinction? Uh, I mean, I, I guess, um, you know, malignant is, is usually something where it's becoming invasive. So, um, you know, you, you, that that's where you start to see like spread of your cancer to the local tissue, to the local lymph nodes. And then, you know, from there it can become metastatic and travel to the rest of your body. So, um, you know, I don't know if, um, you know, benign tumors, you know, do or don't have, you know, some of those specific mutations. I mean, usually if you have one of those driver mutations, it's that, that's a signal that you need to remove the, the tumor. Um, so I, I would think that, uh, I guess it depends on if they do any kind of, um, you know, gene testing on, on those tumors that they would consider benign, but you know, I, you know, I, I'm not a clinician, so I'm, I'm not there. So maybe sometimes <laughs> they're, they're just these, making uh, decisions. that dis- Sometimes they might just be making that distinct call on the fact that it's not gone anywhere else and they're, they don't want to terrify you. I don't know. Like it, it doesn't seem like there's any clear delineation other than this is not spread to the other parts of your body and it's not out of control. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't want to uh, speak out of school um, and, you know, well, maybe, maybe this is a good segue. So, you know, humility <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, Knowing, knowing what you don't know and uh, not being arrogant or hubristic, you know, I mean, I think that this has been a huge problem in the last yes. couple of years. I, I, I was completely shocked and they just started, you know, injecting millions and millions of people with uh, a gene delivery system for um, a, a viral spike protein. Um, and, and, you know, going back to what you were saying about testing, um, you know, part of the reason that, um, I, I chose not to get vaccinated was, you know, they, they had these clinical trials and, you know, their outcomes were really good, but, you know, a, a, a typical, um, occurrence with, with clinical trials is that the benefits are exaggerated and the adverse events are, um, you know, uh, minimized compared mm-hmm. to what happens when you put whatever drug out in the real world. That's yes. thanks, sweetie. Sorry, that's a uh, my <laughs> okay. my seven year old there. It is uh, for our for um, the um, Halloween carnival. Okay, thank you, honey. I'll, I'll <laughs> Halloween carnival. Oh uh, yeah, we got one um, of those coming up too. Yeah, uh, well, and, and thankfully they they can go there without. <laughs> being master (laughs) yeah whatever but um you know just sort of knowing that and you know being a molecular biologist and being familiar with 
gene delivery technologies. Uh, I mean, you know, I've invented cell culture plates a million times using various um, technologies, you know, sometimes viral technologies, sometimes lipid-based technologies, like what they use to deliver the mRNA and the vaccines. And, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I, I wouldn't put, um, you know, a gene into, they wouldn't let me, they, they wouldn't let me put a gene into, you know, laboratory mice mm-hmm. without having done more testing in cell culture. You're and, right. and that's what I looked for. So I, I went and looked through the literature looking for, you know, experiments that I would do to determine if introducing a gene to uh, uh, cells would, you know, could potentially be carcinogenic. So, you know, there, there's a ton of different assays that people use. There are, there, you know, proliferation assays, there are um, invasion assays, there, there are, you know, a million different, um, different cell culture assays. Then, you know, moving on to, to animal uh, testing, there's a bunch of translational assays where you, you know, um, you would you would introduce your gene and, and see what effect it had in, in animal models. And I just didn't see any of that. Mm-hmm. um, in the, in the, uh, in the literature at the time. And, you know, the stuff that I have seen come out in the meantime, you know, hasn't made me any more confident. Right. And, you know, uh, I would even go so far as to say that, um, you know, I was kind of watching and waiting, looking for, for different types of evidence to make a decision, you know, about, uh, you know, whether or not I would want to get vaccinated. And, you know, some of it was just looking at, um, you know, lo- looking for, uh, you know, tests in the literature, just what happens when you overexpress that spike protein in cells, right? And, and not just looking for, for cancer because, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, well, I mean, it's known now that it goes all over the body. So, you know, what does it fa- what effect does it have on cardiovascular function? Well, we know now it causes myocarditis. Um, uh, you know, I've seen papers in, in the interim on uh, endothelial dysfunction. So, you know, I mean, that that's something that, that uh, uh, you know, can cause all kinds of, you know, tissue, mm-hmm. tissue disease. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that, um, yeah. And then, of course, I, I think uh, uh, I heard Robert Malone bring it up on, on your podcast when I listened to him, the, there was a a paper in Cell, which is one of the, you know, most high impact uh, papers in in biomedical sciences. It's it's if you can publish in any paper or in any journal, that's where you'd want to publish. And you know, they showed that they could find the mRNA in the the lymph nodes of uh, people that had received the vaccine yep. for at least six months days. later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they didn't, they stopped looking. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't that they didn't find it after 60 days, 60 days. They just weren't looking anymore. They yeah. just stopped looking after 60 days. Mm-hmm. So, and they I mean, originally said it would be, they told everybody it would be out of your system in a couple of days. So, yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, if you look at papers, you know, I, I, I read a little bit, uh, you know, uh, like some review articles on MRNA technology, cause I wasn't familiar with it. You know, when, when I first heard about it, I was like, they're, they're going to make an mRNA vaccine is the idea to, you know, elicit an immune response to the mRNA. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It's, you know, encapsulated in the, 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 uh, you know, the, the shell of the virus. So it, it wouldn't make sense to, um, 
<laughs> to just inject naked D, uh, RNA. And plus, it's going to get degraded really fast. And then, you know, as I learn more, you know, they, they, they modify it with pseudouridine to uh, stabilize it. And, you know, but one of the selling points in, in those papers on mRNA was always that it's cleared very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, you, you wouldn't want to express a, a gene, um, you know, some viral protein <laughs> permanently. Um, it seems, seems like a, a bad idea. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, I think that was kind of an unexpected finding. Um, you know, it's another one that there, was, there've been popped a up lot is, of unexpected findings and, and, and you really hit it with the humility comment because, okay, we have, we have a pandemic, we have an emergency. I get it. People, they want to get a, they want to get something out there fast. So they're skipping some of the steps. I can almost. I can almost understand that skipping some of the steps because we think this is going to murder the world. That's how it was put out to us. Right. But so they, they skip the steps using this emergency powers act, which you can only use if there's no treatment. So then they have to make sure there's no treatment. So anybody who's uh, anybody who's presenting that this is a treatment for COVID has to be silenced. So they had to silence hydroxychloroquine. They had to silence ivermectin. They had to discredit all these things so they could have their emergency powers so they could skip all the steps to get this vaccine out there. Okay, so fine. You get the vaccine out there and you did it in a rush. But how about a little humility? We don't actually know the long-term effects because it's brand new and we skipped some of the steps. So we're not going to force you to take this. All right. Because we don't exactly know that if they would have just done that one thing. Okay. We don't know the long-term consequences. um, And we didn't test this as thoroughly as we probably would have in normal circumstances. So take it at your own risk. Then, okay, fine. But they didn't do that. It's like, they, this, this is a perfect solution. It's going to cure COVID and it works a hundred percent. And if you don't take it, you're a dumb asshole. That was how they pitched it. So, yeah, I, I have a, a few comments on, on everything you just said there. So going back to the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin stuff, I, I personally don't have any strong opinion on, on the use of these drugs. I, you know, I've heard people like Peter McCullough, uh, you know, speak very highly of them and, you know, I, I, you know, I, I would say, it, like, if they know, if they if they feel confident about it, and you know, they're publishing on it, and um, you know, it's working for their patients. That's you know, that's not that's not my um, area of expertise. But what I will say is that you know, early on in the pandemic, when they were still doing the trials, uh, you know, there's in fact there was a trial going on at the Medical University of South Carolina, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, and. You know, I had colleagues saying, why are they even testing this? It doesn't work. And it, a lot of it is just, you know, there's, there's a very, you know, liberal democratic bias in, you know, science and more science than medicine, but science and medicine in, in general. And they, you know, it's just like anything that Donald Trump said, it was like, it had to be bad. Right. So, you know, there, there was, there was, I mean, I think there was like some Trump derangement syndrome going on there, but also, you know, the, the, the lack of humility and uh, a lack of honesty, right? You know, it, I, I mean, another thing that I that I 
recognized with those vaccines right off the bat is they're, they're monoantigenic, right? So it's just one protein. It's just one of the viral proteins. You know, uh, traditional vaccines, you're using either an attenuated or an inactivated virus that, mm-hmm. you know, so you're introducing all the bits of the protein. Right. Yes. Or all of its bits point. of the virus, rather. Yeah. And, you know, so your, your body has a chance to respond to all of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, I recognize it as a concern that these vaccines could be leaky right off the bat. And so, you know, this is what I was going to say earlier about, you know, in, in, you know, my own personal decisions, I was kind of waiting to see, you know, is there any evidence that this is a sterilizing vaccine? You know, there's, there's never been, uh, you know, a, a widely used MR, uh, I don't think any mRNA vaccines in, in humans before this. So, um, you know, does it does it really work to, you know, sterilize the disease and, and prevent um, either infection or transmission like traditional vaccines are supposed to work? And, you know, it didn't take long before we started to see what were called breakthrough cases. And now yeah. it's just, yeah, I think you just call it cases yeah. because, uh, it clearly you doesn't. Know, there, no, it really doesn't stop you. And, and you're, talk, you're making the distinction between the mRNA and the traditional vaccines. They did eventually make some traditional vaccines. Um, did they fare better? I don't actually know. I, I don't either. I mean, I think that, you know, um, like Sinovac, I think that's one of the traditional ones. I, I, don't, I don't know if they made one in Russia. I honestly have not looked at any, uh, yeah, I don't any of their clinical data. I, I, I have no idea. It, it just really, it seems to have not been... Um, publicized widely if they if they do work well um i i have seen stuff about um uh what is it called is it novavax or it's the one where they they embed the spike protein in in sort of a uh, i think it's like a lipid based vesicle and then inject that into you so it's not genetic at least but it seems like people are still having issues with that just well the j and j was not was not genetic um no it was I'm sorry. I mean, it was not a, an mRNA. It, they they right. inject the spike protein in you, but it was not that that, that, that make help us make the distinction that the mRNA is getting your body to produce the spike protein within you. Right. And then the, the Johnson and Johnson, so, they're just injecting the spike protein. Is that the distinction? So Moderna and Pfizer made mRNA vaccines. AstraZeneca and J and J made uh, adenovirus based vaccines. So they, they had, the adenovirus-based vaccines—they're—they're um, they're just a, a viral vector for the the gene, so they are introducing the spike gene to you. Yes. Um, adenov- adenovirus introduces it extragenomically, so it's not integrating in, in your genome, um, supposedly. I mean, this this was an, an issue I had both with the mRNA and the the um, the, the DNA-based or the adenovirus based vaccines is, you know, you're still introducing the gene. You, you don't really know, you know what's going to happen. Like, you know, like weird things happen in biology, you know, and that's where some of the humility comes in. It's, you know, having experience just working with cells and working with, with, you know, lab animals, you just get unexpected things happening because we, we just don't have, you know, a complete understanding of, of biology. Right. Um, very far but, from it. So the, the, the yeah, so the, the way that the, the adenovirus based vaccines work is that the adenovirus enters your cells and um, releases the, the DNA and then the DNA gets 
um, transcribed to RNA, mRNA, and then that gets translated to protein. So it's sort of a step removed. I think that um, maybe the reason that some people favored the adenovirus-based vaccines is a they were one and done uh, shots, mm-hmm. and and b you're you're unlike the lipid nanoparticles that were encapsulated the the mRNA vaccines. Um, your your body has seen adenovirus before if you've ever had a cold. Well, an adenovirus, adenovirus-based cold anyway. Um, pro- probably yeah, probably we've all been exposed to adenovirus at some point. So, you know, um, but at, at the end of the day, there, there was still both um, inducing your body to expe- express spike protein. I don't know um, what the, you know, if there was systemic distribution like we've seen with the mRNA vaccines, with the adenovirus-based vaccines. I haven't seen anything about that. But, you know, there's, you know, the, the leaked evidence out of uh, Japan from the, the Pfizer, the, the few Pfizer animal trials that they did there where, you know, you could, they, they injected it in, in, I think it was rats and, and then found the, the lipid nanoparticles in the liver and the ovaries and right. the testes and everywhere, basically, to, to varying degrees. Um, so, you know, you knew it was getting systemically distributed. So, I mean, that's, that's another reason why, you know, you, you might be more cautious about the, the mRNA vaccines. And, you know, I, I, I think that if they had, you know, just been honest and, you know, Again, there was this huge age stratification. There is a huge age stratification when it comes to, um, you know, COVID morbidity and mortality. So, you know, and, and I mean, I think that they did offer it to the older population first. But it's again, it's like why why force anybody? And then also, you know, just to be honest. Like we, you know, we think that this might be more beneficial if you're, you know, if you're seventy or older yeah. and are at high risk for. Um, uh, bad outcomes with COVID, and yes. and then I, I I think that that uh, I don't know. We, well, it's not you know when look when I've had enough doctors on, I've had enough other people on. At this point, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion. I wouldn't expect you to back this up, but they weren't honest about it because there were some corrupt. There's corruption in our government and corruption between government and the pharmaceutical industry. And a lot of money was at stake here. So they weren't honest. They weren't humble because a lot of money is being made. That's really what it comes down to. After all the doctors I've interviewed, it's just obvious as day. Like Dr. Fauci is not so dumb that he really thought that this was going to be a hundred percent safe and effective. There's no way. You know, I, I, I can speak more to, you know, just like, like I said, I'm everyday scientists, right? I mean, uh, a, a lot of us really did, you know, buy into everything. Like, it was a little frustrating to me because, you know, when I, when I would bring up things like the um, PCR CT value, and I validated this with the the, the head of the uh, path lab at, at the university I was at. So, you know, I, I knew, like, they, they were actually running the PCRs way out into the, you know, 40 cycles and accepting that as a positive result. Yeah. And, you know, I that, even asked, that's like, intentional. You know, they, aren't they you concerned that. about that? Yeah. Right. But, you know, I think that, you know, everybody really wanted to believe in science, which, you know, philosophically for me, is just uh, uh, like, it, it's, it's a, um, it's like an oxymoron. It's, it, it's like belief is 
sort of antithetical to to the you know scientific process it's not right. it's not a religion it's not uh you, you don't need belief it's yeah. it, right it's, it's evidence-based yes uh yes you don't need you know, to believe of- yeah your belief does not matter it doesn't doesn't change the facts the facts are the facts right and um so you, you know people wanted to believe that that other scientists had good reasons for designing the assays this way. People wanted to believe that, um, you know, the vaccines would work, um, you know, and the, the general consensus is, you know, okay, mRNA is not gonna, it's not gonna stick around, it's labile. Um, mRNA is not gonna um, change your, your genes. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you know, lipid nanoparticle technology. Oh, it's been tested before. You know, I, I think people, you know, even in the sciences, um, at least, you know, like I said, everyday sciences, scientists, I, I can't speak for someone like Fauci, although, you know, I, I have my opinions about anybody who kind of rises to the, the leadership in um, academia and, and uh, um, you know, the, the funding agencies like the NIH. Um, but, you know, I think... Uh, like most people, you know, a lot of scientists, even though they really should have known better, you know, like they, they just wanted to, to believe and, and uh, uh, you know, they wanted something that would work. And I think that they were, you know, genuinely afraid of, of COVID and they just, they, they were, you know, uh, well, you know, again, I think there was a lot of, you know, politics mixed into this. You know, if you watched CNN or MSNBC back then, you know, you're just looking at the, the you know, COVID case count going through the roof and, mm-hmm. you know, mortality and deaths going yeah. up. And, Pe- people were, you know, were scared. People wanted, wanted to buy in. Most healthcare professionals had good intentions, but there's a corrupt yeah. view at the top and the system is corrupt. So that is so people can be taken advantage of because of their trust and their fear. That's what it really boiled down to. Doctor, yeah. we're, we're, we're and, you know, kind of running even, out of time here. Is there a, like a final thing you want to get through to everybody? Um, I guess, I, you know, I would just say that, um, you know, going back to the, you know, being humble um, and, and not hubristic or arrogant, that, you know, there's just, there's so much that we don't know about biology and, um you know, and there's, well, I mean, we could do a whole other podcast on this. In fact, I I kind of intended to talk a lot about this, but, you know, there's a lot of issues just in, um, you know, the the academic process for doing science. So there's a lot of reasons that, you know, you kind of have to be skeptical, extra skeptical, really, of um, what's published. Talking about like uh, false incentives within the, the, uh, university uh the way uh, experiments are conducted yeah i mean this there's 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 bad incentives there's you know the way that grad school works i mean i think a lot of people don't really know what grad school is and that grad students are really kind of the labor force for science and academia and the pressures that are put on them and then you know how postdocs work after that and the, the fact that you know we bring in a lot of postdocs from other countries that you know kind of undercut price and I've, I've heard one other person um, I've heard Eric Weinstein talk about this on on his podcast like a couple of years ago and I've yeah. never heard anybody else talk about that um, 
you know, so there's, there's a lot of malign incentives. There's a lot of sensationalism. So, you know, you, to get published in the, the high impact journals, you have to have something sensational and you have to sell it. So there's, you know, a, a lot of it is just, you know, hot air, um, you know, which is also, you know, why I'm humble about talking about the peptide I invented. I, I don't know. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't inject it in myself if I had cancer, you know, I, I would want to know, does it actually work? You know, what are the side effects, you know, and, and cancer is a little bit more of a lenient area because you're going to die in a lot of cases. So you're willing to take more risks, but um, you know, just there's a lot that we don't know. And there's clearly a lot of, um, you know, malfeasance going on. You look at some, you know, Alzheimer's research. I don't know if you've seen what happened yes. with that recently, yes. right? But you know, basically, twenty years of Alzheimer's research is is down the drain. Yep, my mother SSRIs. died of Alzheimer's. I heard that, and I was in, infuriated because it's like they were studying the wrong thing for twenty years because of one one screwed up study. Yeah, yeah, and and why why didn't we figure it out in in twenty years? I, I think that's a systemic issue in 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 academia um, that. Uh, there's just all these malign incentives and there's a lot of, you know, just kind of innocent, um, or, you know, semi-innocent, um, effects in operation, like, uh, just the way that people are trained to, to do experiments and, you know, the file drawer effect, the, the siloing of information within individual labs and the lack of, uh, you know, transparency of the, the data, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, and, 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 you know, things like P hacking that, and, and it, like representative images, you know, everybody does this. If you look at any set of microscopic images in, in the molecular biology, cell biology liter literature, you're looking at cherry picked images because everybody does it. No, nobody's going to, everybody's mm. putting their best foot forward. If you look at, you know, like a Western blot, that's a technique yes. that's used, you know, in, in uh, molecular biology all the time. It's, it's a staple. And, you know, when you produce your Western blot image for a paper, you, you crop out the bands that, you know, you want to show, usually you're cropping out a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, bands that you don't know what they are. They're dirty. Is it just, you know, yeah. um, it's whatever your antibody, whatever else your antibody is sticking to, or maybe it's your, your, your blocking. I mean, there's, it's just, there's so many methodological concerns yeah. that, um, you are know, you familiar, that, are you familiar with the, the work of Peter Boghossian and, and James Lindsay and, and their papers? Yeah. That, yeah. I've seen. Yeah, yeah, so they they kind of spoke to some of this to a degree by just how ridiculous the the journal yeah. world is and how biased it is and uh, and that that's kind of what you're gonna like. It's a lot like everything else. The 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 medical industry and the universities they're not above the same BS as the rest of us and the rest of the industries. They're just you know that we're yeah. humans and that gets into everything. Which again, I I appreciate your humility and your your candor and honesty because. We are lacking that in society everywhere. Every, everyone's become an expert about everything. And <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? No good. Yeah. And I mean, to a certain extent, you, I mean, you, you have to be because you, you have to, you, you, it's our, our institutions aren't trustworthy anymore. And so you kind of have to figure it out for yourself, but you also have to be honest with yourself about what you don't know. And, you know, uh, you just have to make your best decisions on limited information. Yes. 
Yes. All right. We're going to, we're going to have to cut it there. Um, if people want to follow you, doctor, I appreciate your time. Uh, you were great. We, we will have to have you come back on and talk more about the, the what's going on in the universities, because I got two kids who are, who are uh, getting closer to that age. And um, I think the, the whole system's a wreck. Like I, I went through it and that was 20 years ago and I don't want to send my kids to college. I'm like, unless you know exactly what you want to be and that's a doctor or a lawyer, I'm not spending a hundred grand to send you there. So it'd be great that <laughs> it would be great to have you come back on and, and talk about that sort of thing. Um, but where sure, can people yeah. follow you I'd on? Uh, if people want to follow you, where, where are you? On the social media, uh, yeah, on the, I mean, really only on Twitter, um, Dr. J Matthew Rett. I think at Dr. J Matthew Rett is is my handle, um, and and aside from that, I'm I'm not really on any other social media. I don't think I'd want to give out my personal email or anything. But no, don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, m- mostly Twitter these days. I mean, right. you know, yeah. Anyway. But- All right, doctor. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. It was a a pleasure to talk to you.